I, I want to go on and talk because basically every motive in a man uh, and in his life is governed often by the wrong thing. And the Bible says man shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God means we've got to understand, as I said last night, there's a lot of misconceptions uh, about Christianity. Uh, and I'm dealing with the old covenant and the new covenant. Uh, and I want to repeat what I said last night, which is probably the most important thing. Remember this, that Jesus Christ only ministered in the old covenant on earth. And that until he rose and ascended to the Father, the new covenant wasn't instituted. And therefore, if you take examples from the Gospels and live on them alone, very often if you don't acknowledge who Jesus is speaking to and why, you end up in bondage. If you take the Old Testament and you start basing your life on what King David said and did, or, or what the prophet said and did, you end up in bondage. Because we are new covenant people, and as I said last night, as he is, so are we in this world. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father, he's totally above every principality and power, he's the risen Christ, and it's as he is, John says, not as he was on earth. We are not living according to Christ's life on earth. We're living according to Christ's life in heaven. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ. We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And you have to understand that if you don't come from that perspective, you cannot be a born-again Christian. You're not. You have to start from the reality of where you are in Christ. And everything, last night, the focus was on Jesus. And I call it focusing on Jesus. Everything he did. And the new covenant is an expression of God's sovereign work of salvation. God saves us because he loves us. He sent his son to redeem us. And it is God who does it. And, and what has happened in Christendom is now we've gone from the truth into trying to accomplish and live what only Jesus can live. There's only one Christian life, the life of Christ. I live nevertheless, not I, but Christ liveth in me. Outside of that, there's no Christianity. And if you understand that, you begin to understand the whole uh, of a Christian walk, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. A and the whole of our attitude is a realization that Christ is my righteousness, he's my sanctification, he's my deliverer, he's my healer, he's my mighty God, and it's all what Jesus is, not what I am. And I find so often uh, Christians have got into this legalistic attitude where it's what they do. 
And so this morning, I want to deal with the contrast between the Old and the New Covenant. First of all, I want to talk about and go on with Christ. Uh, you have to understand that He is everything. And um, let's look. There's two phases of Christ's ministry. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. When he was on earth, he ministered. Now, if we go to Hebrews, okay, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, let's read it. Hebrews chapter 1, you need to turn the page of the book. Hebrews chapter 1. Oh, let's take the first verse. God, who in sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, who hath point, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the power of his word, when he had purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now notice in verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the power of his word, when he had purged our sins. Now look, do you notice it's past? When he had, it's done. 2,000 years ago, your sins were purged. And when he sat down at the right hand of the Father, he was having all authority. There is nothing in heaven or earth, there is nothing in creation that is not upheld by the power of his word, and he is the express image of the Godhead. The, the, the expression of God is Jesus Christ. There is no sense in which that you can know God the Father but through Jesus Christ. Christ reveals the Father. Jesus made it very plain. He said, he that has seen me hath seen the Father. And he is the express image. And don't ever get the idea that you can somehow have a relationship with God or with Allah or with um, some other name for God that they use, and it's the same God. I want to tell you, the express image of God is Jesus Christ. He is. He is everything. And everything's upheld by the power of His Word. There is nothing in heaven or earth that exists but by His Word. Everything in creation. And He is the holder of all things. So don't ever get the idea, oh, well, you know, um, Jesus, when he came to earth, he was an example. He was an example. He was the express image of God. <laughs> That's who he is. He's God. And he expressed the Father. So if you want to know what the Father's like, Jesus. He that has seen me has seen the Father. How say you? Show us the Father. Do you understand that? 
So don't ever think that God is different from Jesus. No way. That's who he is. And his whole life was showing you who God is. And look in Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. When Jesus sat on the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high, he sat as our high priest. Remission of sins was certain. He had purged our sins. It was done. And in his sitting there, he becomes the high priest. And the high priest's duty was to offer for the sins of the people. Once a year he went in, but not only for the sins of the people, but for his own sins. He offered the blood on the altar, on the mercy seat. Do you remember? Hello? Okay, now when Jesus went, he offered it by his own blood. And when he did so, he became our high priest. He is there appearing before God always for us. He is our representative. He has purged our sins. It is dealt with. It is done. It is eternal. Nothing can undo it. Nothing can destroy it. Nothing can separate us. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father as our high priest now. And you have to understand that there is no way that anyone can be robbed of their salvation because it is an accomplished fact that is eternal. Don't ever let someone think, well, you can be saved today, lost tomorrow, saved. No, if you get lost tomorrow, you weren't saved today. It's eternal. It's done. It was done before the world was. He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. But... In that he came to earth and he walked as man and he expressed the image of the Father and he showed everyone what God the Father was really like. He revealed the heart of God to the people. Once he did that, he brought a reality where we could relate to God because we understood him. Now man was always created in God's image. Man and woman. And what happened in the fall was they lost that image. And what happened when Jesus came, he was the second Adam. The Bible refers to him in the second Adam. What he wanted to show you was what the first Adam was like before sin came. He had dominion. And there was a sense in which that first Adam, when he fell... He perverted the whole of creation. And people didn't understand what it was like. But suddenly the second Adam comes. Our Jesus. And he comes as God. And he walks amongst men. And his whole purpose was to reveal the Father. He wasn't coming to reveal himself. He wanted everyone to know 
my Father. What I hear him say, that's what I'm speaking. What I see him do, that's what I do. His revelation was of God the Father. And so when you read the uh, Gospels, understand this, that what you're reading is a revelation of God the Father. <laughs> that is what Jesus was doing. And he wasn't showing himself forth as the high priest because he hadn't entered his pre high priestly office. That was when he went back to the Father with his own blood and he went to the tabernacle which was made without hands, that is in the heavens, the true tabernacle, and he sat down. Then he became our high priest. And at that point, he's the only one. The blood of bulls and goats cannot suffice anymore. He's the only one who can go before the Father with shed blood and say, this is my blood. And it was shed for him and for her. Is that clear? And, and it can't be changed. The devil can't get there. No demon can get there. There's nothing can change what Jesus has done for you and I. It is eternally fixed. And he appears for me and he appears for you as our high priest. Don't ever let any people turn around and say, oh, well, you know, you can't be certain. I can be sure. I know where he is. All right? Do you understand that? It's important. You'll find out why as we go on. And then, once and for all, you know, the high priest went in every year and he died, he, he killed the bullet and he went with the blood of bulls and it was once a year there was the Day of Atonement. And on that Day of Atonement, the Jewish people gathered and it was the one day when their sins could be forgiven. It was a yearly occurrence. They went up for the Day of Atonement. And their whole purpose was to know their sins were given. But the one thing it didn't do, it didn't deal with the memory, it didn't deal with the heart, it didn't deal with the conscience. It merely told them that there was death came and their death was substituted by the death of that bull. When the blood flowed, what you were saying was that bull has taken my guilt and my sin and the sins of the people and the high priest laid his hands on the head and, and transferred our sin. And then you had the scapegoat, one that died and the other one that was let go. But it is so important to understand. If you start understanding and comprehending that, you start understanding everything we're talking about. Now, Jesus died once on Calvary. And you'll find in uh, chapter 9, verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. It was a once-off. He did it. Now, the eternal redemption is looking forward and looking back. It looks forward to all that he did, and it looks back. I, I, I can, when I'm saved and I come into life, Jesus Christ has not only atoned for my sins past, 
but the atonement is effective for the rest of my life. There is no sense in which ever that blood is not effective. It's eternal. You say, well, he died 2,000 years ago. He became a high priest 2,000 years ago. How can he atone for what happened 2,000 years later? Well, he did. He paid a price because he was perfect without sin. He tasted death for you and for me. We should have died. He died in our place. He was our substitute. And he did it once. And he's obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, who's done it? Jesus has. What had you got to do with it? Nothing. But it is an established fact. He did it all. You see, he is the author and finisher of our faith. That means he wrote it in the heavens, he wrote it on earth, he wrote it under the earth. He's done it all. I find so many Christians try and add to what only God can do. <laughs> it's done. And there's no way you can turn around and do anything to improve your salvation, help yourself. It's impossible. Hebrews chapter 7 Verse 27. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins, then for the, for the peoples. For this he did once when he offered up himself. <laughs> he did it once, okay? It's just putting the scripture to what I've said. All right? Now there's two phases in Christ's min ministry. There was a, where he was our substitute on the cross and he rose and you remember Hebrews, uh, Romans makes it very clear, I died in him, I rose in him. And the substitutionary work is accomplished, it is finished. And then his second is his work at the right hand of the Father. And do understand that his earthly ministry and his heavenly ministry are totally different. I find so many Christians live in the earthly ministry and seem to forget that the new covenant is established after he's risen and gone to heaven. And if you understand that, you begin to understand what we're like because as he is, so are we in this world. What we aren't is like he was. We're like he is. Now, he is my high priest, and in a sense, that is why I can be an ambassador to people and reconcile them to God because I have a high priest in the heavens. And our office is to tell people, hey, Jesus has paid the price for you, it's over. We're not there to condemn, we're there to tell them, look, it's a finished work. God's done it all. And that isn't presented to people. What's presented to people is, you come to Jesus. No, God comes to you. You do this. No, God has done it for you. You fought. No. He fasted for you. 
And the whole thing is turning back uh, to a realization that he is the source of life and we restore him to his lordship place. Because I believe lordship of Jesus Christ, when you confess it, you confess that he did it all. What has happened is that people are trying to fill up the salvation of God and they say, well, it's what I do. It's how I live. It's what I say. And, and you know, all you need to do, obey the four spiritual laws. You just need to come and repent and turn and, and God will do this and God will... If you do this, God will do that. No. Before you were born, he did it all. And it's God who does everything for us. <laughs> I'm, I'm a believer in the sovereignty of God. Totally. When we were enemies, Christ died for us. And that's the wonderful... I mean, that is a gospel you can get excited with. I've probably gone through half my slides now, but, you know, I, I just can't... Okay, let's go to John... Um, John 19, John 19. It, it really troubles me how ignorant people are. You remember, when Jesus was on Calvary, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Do you remember? And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now, please understand this and understand it well. Crucifixion did not kill Christ. Couldn't. There was no way, no matter how they dealt with his body, he could not die he had to dismiss his own spirit. He could not taste death as a human. He was God and man. And he was in control of his life. There was no point at which he hadn't the power, the creator of heaven and earth, to step off that cross and restore his body instantly. I mean, he, he, he's God. Creator of all. So, when he decided it was finished, he spoke it. His word is creative. All the world was created by his word. Everything that exists is upheld by his word. And God spoke over your life and my life, the old life we lived, there is a word of God over it. It is finished. There's a word over disease. There's a word over affliction. It is finished. And that word is powerful. The bondage of Satan, it is finished. You have been delivered from the power of darkness. That happened on that moment. The devil lost every right every power, every hope. He could not hold man anymore. Jesus declared it. It's over. It is finished. 
And don't ever believe, like these wicked people that talk about spiritual warfare, that somehow the devil and principalities and powers have control. They were finished 2,000 years ago. All right? At that point, salvation was complete. He did not go down into hell to suffer. That is a blasphemy. What happened between the, uh, the cross and his reappearance, I have no idea. What I do know is that God the Father did not let his son see corruption. His body didn't decompose, and on the third day when he rose again from the dead, he rose victorious in physical form. I, I don't know, I can't explain uh, what happened? I'm not going to say. Uh, it says that he led captivity captive. He did. <laughs> he took the, that which would be our captivity and he captured it. And that's why you'll find in Jude it talks of the angels, the one third of the host of the angels, they're chained. I don't know why people get this idea that these fallen angels are around fighting. They're not. My Bible says they're chained. I happen to believe it. When it was finished, it was finished. Waiting for the final judgment. Now, if you want to know where demons come from, I've no idea. There's conjecture. I'll give you a bit of the conjecture, if you like. One of the conjectures is that when the angels came down to the sons of, and daughters of men uh, and they um, procreated, that they're disembodied spirits from that time. I don't know. Lots of conjectures. All of them are conjectures. If you want a theory, I've got a theory for you. If God didn't tell you, he didn't want you to know. So mind your own business. That's easy, isn't it? I do not know. And most of the errors in Christendom are men wanting to work out what God didn't tell them. And adding to the scripture is a dangerous thing. All the intertestamental uh, writings really mislead people. Uh, you know, you start reading the Apocrypha, you start reading uh, the Book of Enoch and those things, and, and you can get very misled. And lots of the doctrines that have come about spiritual warfare come from intertestamental times, and they're trying to work out theories. But basically, who knows? Who cares? My Bible says, give no place to the devil. <laughs> His power was finished. And when you receive salvation, it's over. You understand that? It's over. His, his rule in your life, the power of darkness loses all power over you when you're translated into the kingdom of his dear son. It's over. It's finished. It's eternal. And nothing can ever take it back. Is that plain? So you can look at your disease and you can say it's finished. You can look at your sin and say, God says it's finished. You can look at your bondage and say, 2,000 years ago, God declared it's finished. You can look at your habits and say, you're finished. Why? Because God said so. The power of the enemy is broken. The power of sin, the power of death is finished.
And when you begin to live like a Christian, you live in the fullness of what he said. Now, as I said, you know, the first covenant is finished. The priesthood, the sacrifices, the atonement, and the law were finished. And I find so many people want to somehow restore them. Well, why is the law finished? You say, well, not one jot or tittle passes from the law till everything be fulfilled. It was fulfilled on Calvary. Now, you say, does that mean the law? Oh, no. The law now is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It set me free from the law of sin of death. Okay? Doesn't mean there's lawlessness. It means I come under a different law, the law of the spirit of life. All right? You understand what I'm saying? No, I'm not preaching lawlessness. What happens is Christ lives in me. He's alive in me. I'm alive in him. I live. Nevertheless, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the law has no power over someone who has the life of God. The atonement, it's finished. Well, there's no way I need to plead the blood. You know, you hear people, oh, I plead the blood. Well, what do you mean, plead the blood? What the Scripture makes plain is this, that that blood was offered to the Father 2,000 years ago. It was sufficient. It's settled. It's done. And if I'm in the body of Christ, I'm part of his body, whether I'm the little finger, whatever I am in the body, the blood always flows. It cleanses me from all unrighteousness continuously. I'm kept clean by the blood. The sacrifice, once for all, he gave himself, it's over. The priesthood, the earthly priesthood's finished. He's our heavenly high priest, all right? Everyone playing on it. You know, to me, it's wonderful. Hey, let's go, go on. Before his ascension, uh, and I want you to notice this, before his ascension, John 20. He says, Jesus saith unto her, this is to Mary, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. What Jesus wanted them to know is, don't touch me. I'm risen, but I haven't gone to my Father. Now, he's already saying, hey, it's finished, it's over. There's a new creation come, and he's my Father and your Father. He's my God and your God. In other words, we've moved from old covenant to new covenant, but it's not established in heaven yet. I'm going back to my Father. I'll sit at the right hand. I'll be the high priest. I just want you to know, tell my brethren I'm risen. And he went back to heaven, it says, and he presented the blood to the Father. All right, you've got to understand, touch me not. It didn't mean that he wasn't, he was just a spirit. It didn't mean anything like that. 
And in Matthew 28, Matthew 28, verse 6. Verse, well, let's take verse 5. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. And he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. Come and look where he lay. Now, do understand that the biggest error of any is the idea that Jesus rose in um, spirit form but not body form. His body was quickened. He's alive. Physically alive. He rose from the dead in both body, soul, and spirit form. All right? Heresy says, oh no, it was just spirit. And that is not true. He is risen. And our Jesus, he lives. And you say, well... In heaven, is there humanity? Oh, yes. Will you recognize your loved one? Yeah. Well, you know, you'll have a glorified body. But I want to assure you of one thing. Uh, you will have a body. You see, we were made in the image of God. Don't ever get the idea that somehow you're going to be a spooky thing floating around. No way. There'll be no spooks in heaven. Is that clear? bodily form, he's risen. Physical, risen. Uh, and that is part of our gospel. We tell people, hey, he's alive. Our Jesus, the tomb is empty. All right? Now, I want to contrast the two covenants. Now, in the old covenant, the priests were men. In the new covenant, Jesus is our high priest. And we have our high priest who's ever before the Father. He sits at his right hand and he's, he's ours. In the old covenant, they were servants. In the new covenant, they have to be born. They're sons. A great difference. Now, a servant, it says in Hebrews, doesn't abide in the house forever. Sons abide. Servants can go in and out but they can't stay. Sons live. Christians don't go in and out if they're sons. Servants do. So what David was talking about was visitations where you go to the tabernacle and you visit the presence of God. He lives in the tabernacle, but hey, I'm a son. He lives in me. The tabernacle of God is with men. He lives in them. And so we live in sonship. In the Old Covenant, there was the law of sin and death. In the New Covenant, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. What from? The law of sin and death. And that was where the power of darkness was. And I've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. So I'm living in a different law, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. In the Old Covenant... We have ten commandments. You'll find them in Exodus 20, verse 3 to 17. In the new covenant, we have a new commandment. And it totally supersedes everything. 
Now, don't get it wrong. And I want to point this out. So many people get it wrong, but there's a place where Jesus, Jesus was asked, which is the greatest of the commandments? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy soul. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Okay, that was not the new commandment. That's old covenant. New covenant, you'll find um, John 13. Okay. A new commandment, verse 34, I give unto you. What? That you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. That's a new commandment. And you'll find the same thing in 1 John. A new commandment of love. But this is love to my fellow man. Now why is it not love to God? The reason for that is because it's the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's the whole of the commandment is love where I see the church fall down is they don't understand that in the church it should be love one for another and you notice he said that's how people know you're my, disi my disciples by the love you have one for another and one of the things in the church is if the true experience of God has come to an individual then they will have love one for another. Now that is how you distinguish the seed of the bond from the seed of the free. The freeborn is always a man of love. And you'll find he'll love those that are truly begotten. The seed of the bond is a man who takes the benefits and is almost an heir but there's something different about him. He can't love. In fact, he's jealous and despises, and in the end, he will persecute the seed of the free. He can't help himself. And that is the way you distinguish that new commandment. The only people that can know that as new covenant people. The old covenant people who believe all the things, but basically live in the wrong realm and have never come to faith in Christ, and have never understood him, and have never understood his nature, can't love. Not in the way Christ intends. That's how I know who's of God and who isn't. It's simple for me. You test that spirit. You know that spirit. The discerning of spirits, you need to know. What is it? It's not demons and devils. You need to know the spirit of a man. 
And you test that spirit. And that spirit is so clear. There are people who I've never met before in my life. The moment I meet them, I'm one with them. Because their spirit and my spirit are one. There's a new commandment in my being. I can't help it. Those people, doesn't matter whether they believe exactly the same, what matters is that spirit is there and that love is automatically there. And you meet those men on the earth. One of them, Dima Shikaran, led me to the Lord. I remember the first time I met Benson Ederhoser. We looked at each other and within a second or two we were laughing. Why? Because you know the spirit. There are people you meet, you know. That's it. And in the church of Jesus Christ, it's love. If you want to know the touchstone of everything, it's love. I look at who really loves. If you love as Christ loved, you'll lay down your life for the brethren. Your spirit will be the spirit of the Father. If it isn't that, forget it, you're religious humbug. You might be the seed of the bond, something's happening in you, but you're not the seed of the free, and you don't know what the new covenant is. Oh, you might believe all the things, but don't kid yourself. You have to be born into the family. You're a servant. And being a servant is not a good place to be. God wants us to be his sons, born from a path. So easy. Okay? Is that plain? <laughs> How does it happen? God. But man has to work at it. Man has to try and do it. What folly. You can't. We're not born of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. We're born of God. And it's when you come to a total hopelessness in yourself, but a total faith in him, that you change from the kingdom of darkness and the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And you let him truly become Lord of your life and Lord of your heart. And then you live to please him. You live for him alone. And that's the most wonderful place to be in. Hey, I love you. There's nothing else I want. And at that point, you can't help but love those who are truly begotten of God. One John puts it this way. Uh, if you're begotten of God, you'll love those who are begotten of God. You can't love. It's impossible to really love unless you're in this life. And it's just loving one another. You see, that's how you express the love of God, by your love one for another. <laughs> love has to have expression. Okay? You're understanding what I'm saying? Hmm? You might not like it, but you can understand it. See, uh, I'm coming on to explain how to come in. But it's so important you understand that new commandment. Don't ever slip back uh, and go to the one Jesus said, you know, which is the greatest? No, no, loving God and loving 
You see, how many times do I hear um, songs like, I want to love you more. That's emotionalism. How do I know I love him? I keep his commandments. He's a joy to me. What are his commandments? It's a new commandment. Love. So many people know that. It's the secret of life. It's the secret of love. It's easy to say, a man that says, I love God and hates his brother is a liar. <laughs> How can you love God <laughs> who you haven't seen if you can't love your brother who you have seen? Just a religious humbug. Now, it's talking of brothers. It's talking of disciples. I don't love everyone. Don't you kid yourself. I can love in the sense of have compassion and care, but I want to tell you, there's people I love, there's people I'm just one with, there's people who, who just... My heart is inextricably linked and joined with them. There's nothing could separate us. And there's other people, well, I know them. That's it. Uh, uh, their humanity, I suppose. Oh, they're believers. But so were all the Jews. They crucified the King of Glory. Do understand the difference. There's a great gulf fixed. And Galatians makes it very plain. The seal of bonds, the seed of the free. There's always two seeds. And when you're preaching in a church, you've got two seeds in front of you. Now you know that the seed of the bonds always going to persecute the seed of the free. That's the way it is. Why is it that way? God. You know, what do I do? I preach. And the foolishness of preaching will bring some in. How do I know who's who? Oh, I know when they're alive. How do I know whether they'll come to... I don't know. My advice to them, keep coming. Let's go on with it two covenants, there's other things. You know, in, in, the, in the kind of old covenant, or, or let's say the seed of the bond, so you understand it more fully, uh, you've got man's responsibility. Uh, what I want to tell you is, when you're born from above, you become God's responsibility. And it's great when you can move from one realm to the other. It's a blessed relief. You know, man fails to be righteous. All our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. But oh, in the new covenant, he is our righteousness. Man provides sacrifices, God provides the lamb. Man strives for victory, that which I would not, that I do. You know. God gives us the victory. 
We move from bondage to freedom. Seed of the bond, seed of the free. Wonderful. I prefer the new covenant. <laughs> if you look, have you noticed, it's all of God. If you look, it's all of us. And that's the difference. That's the difference. And most people don't understand it. But um, I could write a hundred things. Let's go on. I could write a hundred things to explain him. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our mediator between man and God. Jesus is our savior, our intercessor, our advocate, our Lord. And he's the surety. That's, he's the one who has established the new covenant. He's everything. Jesus is everything to me. Uh, and it, it's so, so wonderful. Um, let's deal with our high priest. You'll find that over in Hebrews 2.17. We'll look in the book. Hebrews 2. Wherefore, in verse 17, in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to suckle us to strengthen them that are tempted. Now, look. He's a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. <laughs> you know what I find of people who are in the old covenant or in the bondage stakes? They're always trying to get reconciled to God. They're always trying to draw closer to God. <laughs> but I have a high priest who's in the heavens. What do I want to get closer to? He lives in me. You know, I, I gave that up long, long time ago. I never, ever struggle to reach out to God. I mean, I, I have a high priest. His name is Jesus. He ever lives to make intercession for me. Why? He pleads my cause at heaven's throne. I don't ever have to, oh God, something's gone wrong. Oh God, hey. It's not like that at all. Sorry, I, <laughs> just, I don't understand people that are getting a mess and, you know, oh, I've got to go away and fast and pray and seek God. I, I feel so far from God. I never have. <laughs> I was born into the family. I live in the house. I don't go in and out. It's my home. <laughs> and he's ever there. He's my high priest. 
And as to things to pertaining to God, hey, you know, he does, he does the business, not me. Oh, you've got to get there and pray through. Pray through what, a fog? Don't be silly. I'm in the holy of holies. I've got a new and living way. I, I, I just don't think that way. See, I'm new covenant. I, I didn't do it. He did it. I can't claim any credit for anything. He did it all for me. He did it all for you. Can't explain it. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, oh, let's take verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Look, legalism, the old covenant or all the law, can't get you to God. Paul said, having done all things, it's touching the law blameless. <laughs> but he said, it didn't do me any good because all my righteousness was as filthy rags in the sight of God. There came a day when I stopped trying to establish myself and I realized who had done it for me. His name was Jesus. And my, what a change comes. Now, there, there's a sense in which when you become a Christian, you start off in faith and then everyone dumps everything on you. And by the time you, you go on a bit, you, you basically believe you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do something else. And, you know, and the devil brings in all kinds of things like fasting and praying. Uh, it's terrible. Uh, and you know, oh well, I, I won't go on. You know. You're born. When you're born, you're a son. You live in the house. When I got born, I was born into a family, but it's the same in heaven. A <laughs> son belongs. Servants, well, they can come in and they can do it, but they have to go. They don't belong. And there's so many people, that's why they struggle to get into the presence of God. That's why they have to work themselves up in a state. <laughs> and they've only come to wait on table. <laughs> and they have to go out. Oh, But if only they knew the secret of sonship. If only they knew what it was to be free and to belong. <laughs> you listen to them. Servants, they have to take the scraps off the master's table. Well, it's all right. It's food, isn't it? For the son, the table's spread in the presence of his enemies. Different. And that's the way it is in heaven. That's the way it is in the church. You've got some who are one, some who are the other. 
You know, <laughs> oh dear, where am I? I better, I better get on. For inasmuch as not without an oath he was made a priest. For those priests were made without an oath. But this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better covenant. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, have an unchangeable priesthood. My dear, Jesus wasn't in the Aaronic family. He wasn't a Levite. God made him a priest by an oath. You'll find it in Psalms. God made him a priest. And it's an unchanging priesthood. Jesus doesn't change. There was a new high priest came along, but not with my Jesus. He has an unchanging, and he ever lives. Death took away the high priest, but my high priest, he lives forever, and he's always appearing on my behalf. He's wonderful. Hebrews 9, verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which were figures of the true, but is entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. Um, he's entered in for us. Now there's three aspects of a mediator, and he's our mediator. I want you to understand it. He's the supreme prophet, he's the great high priest, and he's the king of Zion. And you'll find it in Luke, we'll quickly go there, Luke 10. And he says this, in verse 22, All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Look, you can't know the Father unless the Son reveals him to you. You can't. No one knows the Son but the Father. No one knows the Father but the Son and no one can know the Father unless the Son reveal him. In other words, Jesus has to reveal God to you. There were many, many people on earth in Jesus' time who walked in the multitude. They never understood who Jesus was. Jesus revealed himself to his disciples as Father. He said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. He gave a revelation We've looked at the great high priest, um, Hebrews 2.17. Let's go to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. I'm going to run out of time, I'm sorry. Ephesians 1 and... Um, 
Uh, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the state. saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Now do understand, he is the head of all things to the church. Not to the world, the church knows who he is. And it's wonderful. He's far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. All right? Jesus is over all to the church. It just means that the world doesn't see it because the eyes of their understanding haven't been enlightened. It means there's a lot of the seed of the bond in the church who never see the victory in Jesus. What they live in is old covenant understanding, old covenant truths, old covenant ways. But we know and we understand unto his true church, his King of kings, Lord of lords, mighty God, totally supreme. And that's to his church. And that power is the power that raised him from the dead, that throbs in your being, that bursts you into life. The baptism of the Holy Ghost that banishes everything else. That power makes you a son. Glory to God. The same power that raised him from the dead raises you out of that kingdom and power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And you know, because that power within you is mighty. There's nothing can stand against it. Whoa. It's wonderful. It excites me. And it's wonderful. And hey, he gives it all to us. Free. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead also quickens your mortal bodies. Isn't it? You know, where's... It's all him. No one can boast. He did it. I live. Nevertheless, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Amen? I, you know, to me, at this point, I feel like jumping and shouting. Holy Ghost! Let's go on. <laughs> He's our Savior. You'll find that over in Titus. Uh, let's look. Uh, I've got so many places I want to go. I'm never going to get through this. Titus 2, 10 and 11. Who's got it? Who's got Titus 2? Well, you have to read it out so everyone can hear it. Who's reading it? 
stand up. Read it with a loud voice. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now, not purloining. What does that mean? Not stealing. A bunch of crooks who want to steal and take what isn't theirs. That's not the way a Christian is. But Christ freely gives us all things. Acts 4 verse 12. Who's got it? Quick, stand up and read it. Or someone's got it here. Go on, shout. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under the heaven among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved, but the name of Jesus. 1 Timothy 2 5. Quickly, someone. No one. Come on. You, go on, Rob. For there is one God. One mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. One mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. Amen? Last one, John 14, verse 6. Who's got it? Uh, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. No man can come to the Father but by me. There is no way into life but by him. And then, he's our intercessor. And this is in John 11, verse 41. Then they took away the stone. Jesus was the intercessor. You know when he prayed, his prayer was always, Father, I know you always hear me. Uh, Hebrews 7 verse 25. Go on, Rob. And wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. He's able to save, and that word is sozo, to heal body, soul, and spirit. Those that come to him, he's able to heal you to the uttermost, save you to the uttermost. He's a mighty God. What a wonderful intercessor we have. Amen. You know, if you come to him, he does it, and he does it because the Father authorizes it because he's my high priest, he's my advocate, he's my intercessor. Don't ever think you can come, or don't think you can get between man and God, and you can be the intercessor. There's only one. His name is Jesus. And we need to stop this blasphemy... There's only one place in Scripture and only one person who's called an intercessor. It is not part of the gifts of the Spirit. It is not a calling we have. And it's all anecdotal experiences that are quoted when people say they groan and, you know, they travailed in birth. Hey! There is only one who travailed in birth. Christ. You say, well, what about Paul? He said, I travail in birth till Christ be formed in you. Yes, 
But what did he talk of? He talked of a door of utterance being open that he might preach the gospel. It's the gospel that births a man. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the preaching of the gospel that brings people to life. It is not prayer. Never has been. You say, I'll pray someone into the kingdom, you fool. You can't pray them in, for faith comes by hearing the word of God. We're born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. God is the author of our salvation. God is the one who brings us in. Prayer doesn't. There's only one intercessor. His name is Jesus. And we need to get back, all of us, to the realization that God wants us there proclaiming the gospel, the good news. God wants us speaking forth. The trouble is the church is immobilized and pushed into little huddles, praying all the time, and no one's out there sharing. Oh, what did you do? I went to the prayer meeting and prayed for the lost. I, I did this. We were interceding. Hey, get out there and tell people. That'll bring them to life. That's the trouble. It's a ploy of the devil. He's got people doing what God never called them to do, and they're not doing what he did tell them to do. Go into all the world. Do what? Preach. Teach. Didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he just, he just didn't know that really the secret was prayer. If only they'd told him. But you see, a religious man loves to pray. It's like the Pharisee. He goes up in the high street. I thank you, God. I'm a great intercessor. I still believe the secret is the gospel, is the power of God to salvation to everyone. <coughs> We're going to deal with prayer at a later time next one I've just got one more and then I'll, I'll take a break he's our advocate 1 John 2 verse 1 and 2 let's look at it my are any of you understanding what I'm saying thank God for that um, my little children these things write unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know, Jesus Christ has paid the price for the sin of the whole world. I've got good news to take to people, haven't I? Hello? You know, this idea of... Um, uh, uh, oh well um, he didn't really pay the price of everyone's sin he did sin of the whole world there is no one I could ever find anywhere who I couldn't tell them the good news is for you there is no one I can ever say to them Jesus didn't die for you everyone the sin of the whole world and, and you know he is my righteousness and there's no condemnation. Why? Because he took the sin of the whole world. There can be no one who's excluded, and nothing that's excluded. Everyone. Now that doesn't mean I'm a universalist, that everyone will get saved. No. That's a heresy. What I'm saying is, there is the potential for all to come in. 
and I need to go out and preach to every creature and some people who barely deserve the name creature. But Jesus Christ is there. He took their sin. Okay?